0: Welcome to the Truth in this Art. I am your host, Rob Lee, and today I have the privilege of chatting with the Executive Director of Afro Charities and an artist with deep roots in Baltimore and Los Angeles. Please welcome Savannah Wood. Welcome to the podcast.
1: Hey, Rob. Happy to be here.
0: Happy to have you join. We're both wearing glasses right now. You have much (laughs) more hair than I do. I am bald.
1: I actually got rid of about half of my hair yesterday, so this is much less than I typically have.
0: See, you, you see you're just bragging. I don't yeah, like it, don't like it frank, frankly. See, I have this. <laughs> that's all I got. Um so again, thank you for joining. I want to dive right into um, some of those vital stats. What's your what's your background and when did you first when did you first become interested in I guess ancestral research? That's that's kind of what I've been been looking at.
1: That's yeah. the vibe. That's the vibe. Um Stats. Well, I went to, I kind of like grew up in Baltimore, but I was born in the, on the West Coast. Mm-hmm. So I went to Baltimore School for the Arts. You got to ask, where'd you go to high school? Theater production, which is now like stage design and production or something. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I went to college out in Los Angeles. My mom's whole family's from LA. My dad's whole family's from Baltimore. So Really, as you said, and as it is in my bio, like very (laughs) deeply rooted in both places. Um, And then the question about ancestral research, I guess I kind of started getting into that a little bit in college. And I was sort of just like, you know, there's I have all these figures in my family who are part of like major black historical things and so at a certain point i was you know i feel like as a kid you don't really understand the gravity of some of that stuff and then when you get right. older you're like wait a minute what like you did what <laughs> you know <laughs> so my grandfather on my mom's side um, was a tuskegee airman and he actually wrote and produced that movie that came out in 95 for yeah. um on hbo the tuskegee Airmen. Yes. and so i like around sometime in college i started doing this art project kind of about his life by sitting with my grandmother and going through some of these objects that were from his time in World War II and et cetera. And then later, I moved to Chicago for a while, um, which was a really amazing time and lived there. And I came back to LA. And when I came back to LA, I was, you know, looking at some old work that I made and saw this video of all of these things that I had been handling for my grandfather's life. Mm-hmm. and on the back of this photograph with him and some other woman who was not my grandmother, by the way. <laughs> uh, there there was an address, but the address was literally right next door to where I had been working in Chicago. So wow. they were in a club that was on the exact same block that I was on in Chicago. So that was like, you know, when stuff like that happens, you're just like, Whoa, what, what, you know, <laughs> like, right? we're just really crossing paths with our ancestors and like spending time in the same places. And like, I started, you know, anyway, long, long winded way to say that was sort of like a point where it was sort of electrifying. Yeah. And I'm like, Oh, there's something to this. I got to dig a little bit deeper in this, but um, yeah, I can leave it there for now.
0: No, that look, don't get me started because when it comes to digging and uncovering things and learning new things, well, relearning or discovering things, um, especially when it comes to like families, like you may have heard it, you're like, hold on, run that. Because sometimes somebody may mention it and it's like, yeah, you know, he'll be doing that stuff. It's like, what do you mean? (laughs) Like, you know, I'm waiting to find out that one of my uncles that, you know, I never met, he passed before I was born, but he's like, yeah, he was like a big time artist. I was like, mm-hmm. "Hold on, what?" I was like, "I that that would have been great to know when I was younger and applying for the School of the Arts and all of that stuff." You know, like, right, "Oh, here's right, this right. inspiration. Let me go through his old sketchbooks." So, yeah, that's that's very interesting. I think that I think I got a few more questions that re- maybe relate to that a little bit later. But um, so I want st- to I want to get into Afro charities. Give me the mission. What's the mission of Afro charities? I mean, I could read yeah, a lot, yeah. but for those who are undipped.
1: No, it's all good, um, because it's actually a really great question that you asked, because I think it's, it's going through a rebirth right now. So it's really important to kind of state that up front. Sure. Um, but Afro Charities works with the Afro American newspapers, which has been in Baltimore for one hundred and thirty years as of this year um, to preserve their archives and to make them more accessible to the public. And so we also produce artistic and educational programming that's inspired mm-hmm. by the collection. So for instance, we did this project in um, 2020 that was funded by the Grit Fund and um, the Awesome Foundation and some a couple other places that was Well, I I put myself in the show because I found some stuff that I had to talk about, but it was me, Shan Wallace and Akia Breon Brown, and we all did research in the archives and made new work inspired by it that showed at the former Afro building, which is now the Deutsch Foundation, and um, we've produced publications. And so there's this book that we made called To the Front, Black Women in the Vote. That's mm-hmm. all about black women's involvement in the suffrage movement, which came out in 2020 also, which was the um, 100th anniversary of the ratification of the 19th Amendment, which gave women the right to vote. And so for that project, we really, like, reached back into the archives and resurrected all these stories of black women in both Baltimore and D.C. that probably wouldn't be documented in other places besides the Afro. So we're really using this collection to tell these really um kind of forgotten stories and then to connect it to the present um and right now we're working on an educational program at coppin academy with a cohort of students who are doing something similar to those two projects they're doing research in the afro archives and they're making new work inspired by it and so um Unique Robinson is the teaching artist for that through Leaders of Tomorrow Youth Center. And mm-hmm. um, Precious Blake is working with me as the program manager for that. So it's, you know, we're we're kind of like ramping up um, mm-hmm. and getting our programming going, but it's a good start. So everything that I mentioned is basically like a pilot program because for the past, you know, Charity was founded in 1963, but it's been mm-hmm. basically doing two main programs since then which is Mrs. Santa, which is like an annual gift drive, and Afro Clean Block, which actually predates, both of those programs predate the um, existence of Afro Charities. Um, so we're really just like expanding the mission to include care for the archives and creative interpretation of them.
0: I, I, and I think with expanding that, and caring about and and having more attention around like the archives. It's kind of controlling our history a bit because that can disappear. That can be reshaped. It can be covered in a different way. And I think having, cause I, I, I know some of those names that were mentioned. <laughs> yeah, some of them I may have interviewed mm-hmm. uh, and yeah, like uh, all the people that you mentioned kind of the vibe I'm of getting off of you and the, the work ultimately is like, Okay, this is in the, the right hands, and it's not someone that's just going to come by and it's like, oh yeah, we're we're doing this, we're but really, someone that's going to treat it well and really treat it with respect and the notoriety and the attention that it deserves, I think, and be and, and do make it make something that is old feel new again by doing new work based off of it.
1: Totally, all that, all that. Thank you. Um, you know, it's. It- <laughs> It's also like to kind of go back to what we were talking about earlier, like being a kid and not really understanding the history. It's like, you know, I grew up knowing that my family founded the Afro. I didn't know Mm -hmm. what that meant. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, I'm like, okay, cool.
0: (laughs) When when I heard about that, I was like, who
1: am I interviewing again? (laughs) But like this, um, you know, like as you get older, you start to recognize the significance of stuff. And I'm like, Wait, what? Like they were enslaved and then started this newspaper and then like how many black people could even, you know, mm-hmm. like like were even um literate at that time? I know it sounds crazy, but like yeah. there are stats that are out that are that's like share show that there's like 3% literacy. Obviously, there's probably some nuance in that cuz like Mm-hmm. if you could read you don't necessarily tell everybody you could read
0: no but, absolutely not and
1: it's like it's an estimation but you know it's still kind of like you know this audacity this yeah. audacity you know i love that so you're, you're i'm really just and like,
0: putting together a publication how dare you
1: okay okay <laughs>
0: <laughs> i mean I, I like it i mean i'm a fan i
1: love it i love it and then also like making sure that You know, your community's employed. Like initially, you know, initially it was like all family members mostly. Mm -hmm. But then it's, you know, just expands and expands. And then all of a sudden you look up, you got 200 employees and everybody's black. I mean, because they couldn't work anywhere else, but also because that's who needed to be there. (laughs)
0: Like Absolutely. Yeah. And yeah, it's I mean, when you find out something like that again, it goes back to you're like, so we did what? Who are we? I mean, right, I, I all
1: that to say, so it's like this legacy that I uh, that you have to treat with respect. Like yes. there's no way that it, there's no like fly by night situation. You know, it's like when I decided to move back here in 2019, I had been laboring over that decision for two years because I knew what it meant. You know, it's mm-hmm. like I knew that once I uprooted my life in Los Angeles and said I was coming back to work with these archives, I'm gonna be in Baltimore indefinitely at this point. You know, yeah. and it's like I really like LA. I really liked my life in LA. Okay. Man, so no I'm beach, like, just
0: gray walls and
1: you know, whatever. <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong. I love Baltimore, but I really, you know, I was, I was enjoying my life there. So it's, it was a big commitment, a big decision to move back. And I don't take it lightly by any means. So we have a lot of work to do. And I'm just really excited to be building a team of um, people who are equally passionate about this history and its yeah. potential um, to, you know, Make sure people have access to this this stuff, because, you know, it's not just that it's history. It's specifically history told from black perspectives, which is very different from what you find, you know, in textbooks elsewhere, as, as we've seen with even, you know, like Nicole Hannah-Jones's 1619 project. Yeah. It's uh, the perspective on history is also critically important.
0: I I had a conversation the other day it doesn't it relates somewhat in that I was talking with the Liam Smith who did the um uh, the promotional work for um Atlanta the new season of Atlanta that's coming out mm. and uh, he was you know, talking about like my black history is these people or what have you and that's what my project was doing this Afro surrealism but he's like it might be in living color this is what I grew up with and this is mm-hmm. and we were kind of talking about that as, you know he's I'm older than him, older than him as he reminded me uh, <laughs> but it's kind of one of those things where you're in elementary school and you'll see like the same uh, yes. this entertainer and it's like yo this is a limit so I, I definitely definitely is a limit yeah. to what we're covering. And I think Harriet Tubman, Frederick mm-hmm. Douglass, mm-hmm. Benjamin Banneker in Maryland, right? A, a redacted like, entertainer like. <laughs> that has been canceled, 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 because he's been the in real life. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's one of those things and it's just like, yo, can you update this? Can we get something new? Can we expand it? And, you know, I still think that there's so much that we have to uncover about our own history, especially when it's, us covering it because yeah. you, know, you said look you ever watch one of those like jazz documentary and documentaries and you don't see anyone that looks like us mm-hmm. that's, that's doing the talking it might be the mm-hmm. performers but it's like the ones that are doing the talking the historians i was like ouch i appreciate it bro but also <laughs> yeah yeah yeah
1: you couldn't find anybody like not
0: Couldn't one, find Couldn't not find anybody, not Sonny oh. Rollins Junior. I didn't too. I don't know.
1: <laughs> I love what I love what you're saying though, because part of what I'm so excited about, like after having spent time with the collection, is the fact that they're. Oh, sorry, let me stop playing with my window shade. You're probably going to hear all of that. You're you're <laughs> the thing that I'm most excited about working with this collection all this time is that um, we have so much detail in there about other people, you know? So I I talk about this a lot in grant applications and all these things when I'm trying to raise money to support this collection. It's like, yes, we have like the top five that everybody learns about in February and all the people who are standing next to them. And then on the back of these images, there's usually captions that tell you who else is in the photograph. What's their name? What was the event? What's the occasion? So like we have all this rich information that starts to bring out the whole ecosystem, you know, like, who are these people in community with? Because mm-hmm. that's also super important. Like, not everybody. It's important also for modeling, like, how we engage in movement. Yeah. Um, because so much of what's documented in the archives is, like, ongoing generational civil rights movements. And so, you know, everybody knows Rosa Parks. But who are the people who are supporting her, you know? Yeah. And, like, what are their roles? Because not everybody's going to be a Rosa Parks, you know? And so it's important for people to be able to see these other roles within a larger movement and to see themselves in that too you know that everybody has a role to play you might not be the headliner, you know, and that's, that's cool. Actually, <laughs> it's very cool. We can learn something about their lives from this collection.
0: Yeah. And, and I think when we're looking at, let's say like media or what have you, and I go back to one of the movies that I liked a lot from last year was Judas and the Black Messiah. And oh, yeah. I was like, you I didn't know any of this other stuff. I just heard like, mm. dude died young. That was it. And it's like, oh no, this is different. Oh, this is what happened. And you, yes. you want to have that context, and it shows you how insidious some of these things mm-hmm. really were. And you know when you're getting like that's a fictionalized version. When you were to check into the actual story of the archives and seeing like that, that's real image. Oh, that's real. Oh, wow! I can actually see this, and mm-hmm. it makes our history actually feel like history. Actually, feels like something that should be in a museum and treated as such. Mm-hmm. Um. So I want to move to this next question um, about, about your role as executive director at the um, uh, Afro Charities. And you shepherded uh, the the organization through a period of historic growth. Can you share some more about that and how you approached your work when you started? And like you talked about a couple of years ago, you came back here. So how did, yeah. how did that whole thing come together? And uh, what was your, like the first thing that you looked at? Was it like a mm-hmm. listening tour? Was it like, all right, what we got here? What's in these binders? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, basically,
1: yeah. Like even so... I told you it was like two years of kind of psyching myself up to come back here. Mm -hmm. So it was probably like 2017, I was in town. And this is when we still had the building on North Charles Street. And I remember going over there and just like, you know, calling up the CEO and publisher at the time and saying, you know, like, I've been doing this work in archives in Los Angeles and in Chicago, and it's all been sort of artistically based. I'm just curious about what we might have, you know? And that was really my entry point was being able to just go and see the archives for the first time. Like literally for the first time was 2017. And Mm. I was blown away. I, my jaw was on the ground. I'm like, you know, you could have imagined, I mean, you should imagine. It's like, at that point it was 125 years that the paper has been in existence. So it's like, obviously there's going to be a lot of stuff, but I'm like, I went in there and my brain was like exploding, you know, and I'm just like, holy crap. Am I really going to do that? Like, am I really going to try to do something with this? (laughs) You know? And I, I have to say this too, that I'm not the first person with this idea of trying to make this collection more accessible. There have been people diligently working towards this over like generations at this point. So I'm really building on their work, but I think we're in this moment right now where there is an increased interest in black history, more support for black organizations, black led organizations, the technology's at a place that it's more accessible. And so we're really at this like, perfect nexus for the accessibility piece to really work. Um, So I'm just thrilled about that. Anyway, so that was a little bit of a detour, but... Yeah. I mean, that was the first was just coming back and seeing it. And then it took me two years to work up the nerve to actually like apply for a grant and like make my way out here. And like just talking to people about the idea and like, should I do this? Is this crazy? Also just like reflecting on like, you know, I was working at a nonprofit organization in Los Angeles that I love. But the only place to go would would be to become the executive director of that organization, the only place up in that role or to move to another place. And I was like, do I want to do that? Like, why would I put my energy in that place when there is my own family's legacy where I can put my energy into, you know, where there's this like project that benefits black people specifically that I can put my energy into, you know? So it just shifted like some of that helped to kind of like push me out of um, the comfort zone. Um, I feel like I'm rambling, but I don't know. (laughs) <laughs> no, it's, it's,
0: no, 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 it's, it's, it's context.
1: So much. No, yeah.
0: it's, it's context, and I think it, it definitely helps in better understanding like what the thinking was in making that leap, because yeah, you know, what I'm, at least what I'm hearing is like you were doing something that you know you, you, you dug, but it's like, eh, to move up in this area and to, in, in this role to a higher level would be that that role of an executive director here and do I want to do that? Where is my time best served? And maybe looking at something that maybe you left. And coming back to it, and it's like no, this is this is the right way. This is the right thing. Something that's close to the heart It's family. Yeah. Is you know, it's identity, all of that stuff. And research, it's, like, it's, it's yeah. putting your, it's putting yourself in a spot that it it makes sense and it has so much impact potentially. And I think. You think you made a great choice. <laughs> Thank <you> very much,
1: <laughs> but yeah, okay. So I feel like I have to say this though. So I got I got a fellowship thanks to Jessica Solomon, who was working at the Deutsch Foundation at the time. She was really instrumental in making sure that um, my idea was understood, so that I had a little bit of space to think about how to approach this work. Mm -hmm. So I moved back here and would not have been able to do it if it had not been for her really intervening and making sure that I was able to get that fellowship at the Deutsche Foundation, which allowed me to like have my bases covered. I could eat, I could pay rent, and I could really just like explore this collection and try to understand what had been done already, like what work has already gone into this, what needed to happen and to really like vision the future of this collection. And so that was super critical and um, was the time at which like I started thinking about, you know, what's the best structure for this. And there's been several structures for the collection over the past 130 years. I mean, it was like a working newspaper morgue which is like just a, a, a library basically that you pull files from and then at some point they were trying to make it there was like the um, afro-american newspapers archives and research center as a place at the charles street location and when they moved the location that kind of shifted and so you know that's when i started thinking like the best way for this collection to be supported in my opinion is to have um, a nonprofit status for it, basically. Yeah. And and so talking with um, the board and working out, like negotiating back and forth with the Afro company, which owns the collection about how best to approach that. That's kind of how we landed um, in this place of Afro charities managing and making, acce- making this collection accessible. Because it is and it's a national treasure like there's no other way to say that is yeah. literally a national treasure and so it needs to have public support and it needs to be publicly accessible and so that's what I'm working to do and that's basically like what I recognized during this whole period of, um, of research really just like ideation.
0: Yeah, I'm looking to dive in and find out about the rich history of the the Lees of Baltimore. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> find Actually, out that- I,
1: should, yeah, I should say now, like, there's a huge amount of the collection that is accessible because of the work that other people have done. So mm-hmm. there's a huge amount that you can find. Um, if you have a Pratt Library card, you can access back is. issues of the newspaper from 1893 mm-hmm. to um, 1988, and then it picks up again at 2003 to the present. And you can, like do a keyword search. You could do it just a optical character recognition search through all of that history um, right. for free from your house, you know, so like I know what major. I'm doing
0: tonight. I'm doing, I know what I'm doing tonight <laughs> because I have an ego. If I find out that, you know, your great grandfather was a podcast. Well, radio guy guy it's like, hold up. What? I was
1: gonna say, if he's a podcast. He was really ahead of his time. Town okay? travelers. All of
0: us leave the time travelers. I love that. that. That would be amazing. Or then I find out like my great granddaddy was like the town drunk. It's like, oh. Well, That's
1: all right. That's all right. It's fine. He liked to party. He,
0: he he got it in. He was he was lit then. Um, so so this this question um does spirituality and culture play a role in in your creativity um because you're also an artist um and if so please explain or enlighten us. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Um, I would say it's, you know spirituality kind of is like seems like it's almost the same as creativity to me, you know, like a lot of the stuff that I make has to do with either family, ancestry and, or nature primarily. Mm -hmm. Um, and all of that is spiritual to me. Um, and I'm often like the way that I make things is often sort of, um, Kind of like an altar. Like, I feel like the things that I make always look like altars. Like there's like always a combination of objects that hold significance. There's always like a, like a certain type of poetics that comes with it. Mm-hmm. Um, that's really grounded and rooted in spirituality, which is like inherently a part of culture. So I would say yes, definitely. And that's how.
0: Yeah. Um, I, I, I've I passively like part of it is because my partner is you know she she has an altar and she was like I'm becoming a witch and I was like fair <laughs> like cool and uh it, but I mean it's 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 something to believe and we all have to have our values and and what we had, what we believe and what we hold sacred and I started doing my version of it in in, in my studio and I have like. Just I guess totems. I don't know like the, the terminology, but there is that connection between one's belief and creativity and or spirituality, what have you. And literally, there's a part in my studio that has like just things that artists have given me that I've interviewed, and it's like just good energy in there. So There's a few stones in there, and my yeah. you, know, <laughs> just, you know to bring money and the creativity and sparking the right thoughts. But yeah, it's uh, it's something, and there is connection when I'm feeling like. I'm not where I want to be at or in the right headspace and when I'm doing something creative and I need to take like a a little bit of a dip a little bit of a break I just kind of look at that and observe that stuff and I'm like okay Yeah. I remember when I did this interview. Oh, that's what that represents. Yeah. You know, let me read through this, you know, because people have given me books and things that they've written and it's cool. And it shows that sense of community. It's like, these are all items from different people and you've interviewed all these people and this came out of nothing and this came from you and this is really much driven by you. And yeah, it's, it's a good feeling and to acknowledge it is even better.
1: I love the way that you describe that too, because I think, you know, sometimes people get freaked out by like calling something an altar, but I, you know, I, I think about like, if you go to your grandparents' house and your and their walls are lined with photographs of your family and their, and your ancestors, that's an altar. Your, the home is an altar. You know what I mean? Like there's just so many sort of like vernacular aesthetics for black folks that is so deeply rooted in spirituality, but we just don't acknowledge it as such, you know, like, well, some people do, but some people don't, you know? And I I just think that there, it's like so interwoven into who we are in this country, you know, like who we are in the world, that it's just, it's like an inherent part of your life. So, So that's all I'll say about that.
0: (laughs) So I got two more real questions. Okay. Before I get into my rapid fire questions, which ruin all the goodwill I create, right? (laughs) That's for context. Uh, But I think think it might really be one because I feel like you've answered this one, but I'm still going to ask it and maybe you can kind of hammer the point home. Uh, What do people need to know about you, about how you think, about why you create to understand and appreciate your work? Like, What do they need to know about you to have a better grasp on why you do what you do and how you do what you do?
1: Mm, yeah my ancestors are super loud and (laughs) wow they're super loud They're I love them they know I'm going to talk about them like this but um they're always in my ear I'm just gonna put it like that like I I'm telling you like this whole two year like they if I were to tell you the full story of how I got to Baltimore it would be wild you would not like it like when I when I think about it I'm just like there's no other way to explain how I got here. Like it's just them orchestrating these things. So that's for one. Um, and you know because of the depth of history that's represented in the Afro archives and in that family legacy,, sure. there's for me, there's a sense of like deep time, so I don't feel rushed. You know, like somebody was asking me, I was sharing with them like a a video of what it looked like walking down this corridor lined with boxes. And like, I'm like, you know, there's literally 1,500 boxes in this collection, and that's not everything. And each of those boxes is stuffed with folders that are stuffed with images and notes. And that's what, like, that's the weight of this thing, right? And they're like, how do you not get freaked out? I'm like, ah. Like, you know, like, what do you, like, why be freaked out? This is just what it is. This is what they've been doing for the past century plus. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm not alone in this work. I'm not the last one to do this work. I'm just doing my part while I'm here. So in that sense, like, I feel like people should know that about me. Is like, if I take a little longer to respond to an email, that's because I'm doing a million and seven things. But, you know, also it's because we have a little time. We got a little time. This is our time. Let's like enjoy our lives also. Like I'm not, I'm not going to kill myself by working myself to death. You know, I I refuse to do that. And, and there is the possibility of doing that because there's so much to do, Mm -hmm. but I just have this like very, I have this sense that it's like, it doesn't end with me. I'm just doing my part. So I'll get it as far as I can. And, the next generation is going to have to take it from there. Like that's, I just, that's all I can do.
0: And and I would imagine that feels really, like really freeing sometimes. Yeah. Like yeah. you know, when you're doing anything, whether it be something that's obviously important and attached to you from a lineage and from a identity standpoint, as the work that you're doing, or something that's a a a day job. I think for us as as, as black folk, or what have you, we have all of these different stigmas that are like floating around. Of oh, you're never going to get this. I got to work twice as hard and blah 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 mm-hmm. blah, blah blah. And. Mm-hmm. I, I think at a point when I just kind of said screw it with some of the data day mm. stuff and just like, yeah, it's going to be here tomorrow. I'll, I'll mm-hmm. be able to finish it. And it's like if I don't get to it immediately, it's, it's not a Pavlovian response. I, I'll do it. And mm-hmm. I'm able to dive myself into kind of I think what I was kind of getting at earlier, something that matters to me. Like the day job oh. matters to me to a point. This word this this podcast, this documenting what's happening in Baltimore at this moment of time and other cities. But in this moment in time in Baltimore specifically, that's what's near and dear to me. So that's the thing that I can get up at four in the morning and start editing a podcast because I just might be up and I just have the desire to do it. That drives right. and it's baked in. It sustains itself. Exactly. But at the same time, knowing when to take those breaks and knowing when like, it's going to be here tomorrow. Exactly. I can redo that interview with someone tomorrow that's one of those things to really key in on and acknowledge because someone else is going to want to do it. You know, mm-hmm. there's interesting stories here and you know, um, you're, you're, you're the shepherd. You're, you're, bringing it to that next, that next group. So
1: that's it. And, and what you said is so true. Cause it's like, you know, it's, it's like literally part of me. So it's like, I'm going to be, I'm, I'm, all, I'm doing it <laughs> no matter what, you know, it's like right. I'm doing it. <laughs> right, this is
0: baked in. So we're you, doing it. Whatever it's you want it to be. It's not going to be like, yeah. Um, you know, people ain't asking Frank Ocean. Well, they are asking Frank Ocean for it. It's like, hurry up, man.
1: <laughs>
0: uh, <laughs> So, when when I initially, on first glance, I, I, I thought of um, Henry Louis Gates and Finding Your Roots, mm-hmm. right? And sometimes it's hard to it's hard to shake when the guests discover something about their ancestors that's either troubling or sometimes, like, very interesting. But it might be like, damn, I had no idea this person was a spy. And um, mm-hmm. working in the archives and ancestral research, have you discovered things that have surprised you or perhaps changed your perception of a historical figure, place, or even a family member?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um... The first thing that came to mind, I've been doing some research into like the founding of the Afro and how that came about. And it um, my great-great-grandmother lent my great-great-grandfather $200 to buy the name and the printing press at an auction. Um, and I've always, I was super curious about where she got that money from. And I eventually learned that she got the money from her father, um, who was also born enslaved, but who ended up Buying himself out of slavery, buying his wife out of slavery, they bought their kids out of slavery, and then bought the land that they were enslaved on. And I was always like, okay, that's amazing, but also how? Right. you know? And so I still don't quite have the answer to that. I'm still trying to figure that out. There's a family lore that says that basically he was given a portion of land that he could farm himself. And when mm-hmm. he would take the crops from the plantation into the city, he would sell his crops. And like, that's how he amassed the money. But I'm like, OK, so who gives who gives a slave some land? You know what I mean? Like right. who's doing that? But there's also this thought that he might have been the the son of the slaveholders. Mm. So it's like very complicated, and and so I'm curious about like you know is that preferential treatment like how were other you know like what are those dynamics like right. that's super interesting to me, um, but it's you know it's one of those things where it's like how do you how do you find out you know like the the records can only share so much I think that's like actually a really important thing to say on this podcast too it's like as much as archival uh, as much as archives can tell us there's so much that is not documented there right. Mm-hmm. Um, but with that whole story i I just found it fascinating, like understanding a place in a different way too like they were they were in Montgomery County, and a lot of the history that's discussed there is from white enslavers perspectives right. and that history. And so it's I'm just it makes me so curious about what else is in that area you know um Mm. there is the sandy spring slave museum which is which is like documenting the history of free black people in sandy spring um and there's a few other places that are really telling the story of free black people in maryland in general but i would love to know more about those those histories as well so I guess it made me look at um, like I've never been interested in Montgomery County, but it made me look at Montgomery County and think like, huh, okay, what's going on here?" You know, like what's right. below this this other story that we hear all the time.
0: That's that's great. Curiosity is it's a thing that you know. Curiosity, discovering 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 truths, uh, sorting out puzzles and things. This keeps things interesting. It's like. Mm-hmm. What, what can I find out? Did you know you can do that yeah. whole thing or have you and, you know, be a drip at a party. It's like, all right, man. You <laughs> all right. but It
1: always leads to so many more questions, right? Like, and then mm-hmm. you're like, oh gosh, when does it end? <laughs> <laughs> Never.
0: So I got, I got a group of questions for you. Okay. All
1: right. I'll try to be quick. I'll try they're, to be. They're, they're rapid fire verbose. questions. No, 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 absolutely. <laughs> I'd be
0: like verbose here, uh, but not a rapid fire. Um, so, rapid fire is going to work. I added a special one for you just for you because why not? You're special. Um, So let's start off with this. Um, Sharing black stories is important and pop culture usually is a vehicle for for how we do it sometimes, what have you, but often due to a lack of representation, it falls short. What movie, book or podcast do you think has done it well and kind of highlighting like historical blackness? Hmm...
1: Well, you said it earlier. um, The Black Messiah movie. Wait, what was it called Judas and the Black Messiah. Thank you. Judas and the Black Messiah. Like, I feel like that was so well done.
0: Yeah. It
1: was so well done. Um, So that would be one. I don't know. I mean, it's hard to say, like, okay, I won't go into too much explanation, but I'm like, it's hard to say, like, what's pop culture? Because I also feel like 1619 Project podcast is my second time bringing it up on here because it's that influential, but like also extremely well done. You know, like really, it's not fiction, but it's like really gets, gets there.
0: Good. That's good. I I think I know the answer to this next one. What was the last book you read?
1: Um, it is, (laughs) no, it's actually called, um, Black is the Journey... Oh, I have it right here. In French, it's uh, Le Triangle a Lexagon, which is the triangle of the hexagon. Sure. Um, but it's called Black is the Journey, Africana the Name, by this um, woman, Mabula Sumahoro, who is French Ivorian and spent a lot of time in um, America and talks about finding her French identity by being in America.
0: You, you really got through all of those French words and names and all of that very well. Um, I would stumble. I stumble on regularly. Like, like, yeah, Robert, that's how you say that na-. Wow, I didn't know how you say <laughs> that. Wow, that's my name. Um, <laughs> uh, are you a rule follower or rule breaker? Both. Fair. Depends. Okay. Depends
1: about- if the rule makes any damn sense.
0: See? You get it. You might be an Aquarius. <laughs> you might be an Aquarius. We just break rules. Okay. Badge. Really? Oh, all day. No.
1: Oh no, 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 no! Don't come out here with some sad slander.
0: Both of my parents' is a, uh, parents are sages, so well, that
1: like, would be hard. But uh. <laughs>
0: birthdays are two days <laughs> apart; it is a thing. Oh, oh. <laughs> like. Um, it, what's an interesting fact about Baltimore that you've recently learned?
1: Um, that it was home to the largest population of free Black people before the Civil Civil War.
0: Well, there you go. There you go. I
1: awesome. have no idea. It's oh, amazing.
0: God, not, wow. Lastly, and you have already know this one, and I think I already know the answer. What is the first letter of your favorite curse word?
1: Oh, I don't know, actually. I feel like I'm trying to figure out like what I've been holding back during the whole conversation. <laughs> it's, it's probably F.
0: <laughs> it's, <laughs>
1: it's probably
0: F. It's probably F for most people or yeah. some version of F. Yeah. Yeah, and like Freak. CF. You know, that's what I say all the time. That's what this week has been for me. A CF. Ooh, mm-hmm. Yeah, okay.
1: yeah. I don't use that one very often, but okay.
0: Yeah, I, I, get, I heard it from the pales. So there you go. Uh, <laughs> um. So one, I want to thank you for being on this podcast. This has been just really, really a treat. Uh, it's been a good way to wrap up the week for me. And um, two, I want to invite and encourage you to tell the five folks where to check out your art. Shameless plug. Just, just plug away. You know what to do.
1: All right. I'll do it. Thank you for having me. It's been really fun. Um, yeah. And for all your thoughtful questions and just for what you're doing for the city also. You. you know, it's great to hear all of these amazing stories on your podcast. Um so much coming up, okay? <laughs> <laughs> That's great. All right. So, I thought you March were coming 20- to the screen briefly. Outside. I wrote it down. I wrote it down. March 28th, I'm in conversation with Dr. Kim Gallen and Dr. Martha Jones about the Black Press for Johns Hopkins Hard History series. March 31st, um, Afro Charities is hosting a panel on women in cultural memory work. Mm-hmm. We're confirming a location because we're trying to decide if we're going to do it virtual or in person. So, more info to come. Um, April 9th, I'm going to be on a panel for this exhibition called A Movement in Every Direction, Legacies of the Great Migration, and that's hosted by the Mississippi Museum of Art. It's a project between the Mississippi Museum of Art and the Baltimore Museum of Art, curated by um, Jessica Bell Brown Mm -hmm. and Ryan Dennis, both of whom are awesome. And then May 5th, the reason why I was reading that book that was translated from French, um, Afro Charities has been partnering with this organization called Cadist that has a location in Paris, Mm -hmm. and we've commissioned an artist, Zyveria Simmons, to make new artwork inspired by the archives. So there will be an exhibition opening in Paris, France on May 5th, that I'm very excited about. And so look out for some um, Baltimore-based programming that will be um, related to that exhibition later in the year. One last thing that I'm going to say is that Please. August thirteenth is the Afro American newspapers' 130th birthday, and they are going to be hosting a big party for that as well. So that's way in the future, but if you're a planner, there it is.
0: I might to pull up for that. You know, put on. Come my, on. I had to find like a, some burg. I, I want to have an excuse to wear a burgundy dashiki. So because burgundy is oh my, my color. Yeah,
1: that's it there Uh, you go uh, also you don't need an excuse but go for it Uh,
0: well I I wasn't told I was black and we were talking about it off mic Uh, (laughs) with that being said again I want to thank Savannah Wood for coming on to the podcast from Afro Charities and just doing the great work and I want to say that I am Rob Lee there's art culture just history and around Baltimore you just gotta look for it